Hi, I'm Matthew Vandegrift, pastor for Poplar Springs Baptist Church. We bring you this video from New Mexico, where we're at a church plant here that we support, helping uh, with some projects here. And so not only are we here, but all the people who do our video recording and production at our home church are here with us. And so we bring you today a sermon from Pastor Jordan Clark, uh, here from Word Baptist Church in New Mexico. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Justin and Alec, for uh, opening us in worship and prayer and song. We're going to continue our worship uh, through the study of God's Word. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open to Matthew chapter 7. We've been, uh, we've been doing a series through Matthew, which we started back in January. And uh, it's entitled, Our King. Because Matthew makes it clear from the very beginning that, uh, that his focus in the the that he chose to, to describe in his gospel through the, the teaching that he has curated for us. He's making it clear that, that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he really is truly the Son of God, that he is, in fact, our King. And Matthew wants to show us uh, his life, his ministry, and eventually we're going to see his um, sacrificial death on the cross. But in all of it, Jesus really is our King. He is a ruling He's reigning. He wasn't just a good teacher. We would never diminish him in that way. Um, Jesus is truly God, uh, our Messiah. We uh, most recently we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, which is the phrase that we use to refer to Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. It's a collection of teachings that that Matthew has put together for us. Um, there, uh, these are, these are these are teachings that we see. We're gonna. See these again as we study through the book of Matthew. These are these are the stuff that Jesus talked about, and and Matthew put them together here in uh, chapters five, six, and seven. And that little it's almost like a little mini series that we did within our bigger series through Matthew called the King's Sermon. Uh, and as Jesus has been teaching, we've been we've been listening. Hopefully, we've been gleaning, we've been learning. That uh, it has it has been equipping us in how we ought to live our lives as Christians in a simple world. So today we're going to close out our time in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we're going to be looking at the King's Sermon this very last time. Uh, we're going to see that Jesus is talking about the will of the Father. And uh, I'm comfortable saying, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that, uh, that I'm wrong here, but I'm comfortable saying that this is probably the most difficult uh, piece of the Sermon on the Mount that we've looked at so far. Uh, we, we've handled some uh, pretty unwieldy texts up to this point, Jesus has said and commanded us to do some things uh, that maybe we're not very comfortable with, or maybe actually sound a little uh, little nuts. The some things that we've been tempted to, when we hear them, to kind of shrug off as as a, a, you know, a suggestion rather than a command. But right here, uh, this passage, I think you guys will agree with me, is uh, probably most difficult for us as we sit and listen to Jesus' teaching. If we really take him at his word, if we hear the things that he's saying, then um, I, I have a feeling that, uh, that we will be convicted, we'll be challenged, uh, we'll have to confront some things in our own heart. Uh, but, obviously, the word gives us everything that we need in order to do that. Uh, Jesus doesn't, doesn't give us hard commands and then leave us to figure that stuff out. He gives us all the help that we need. To walk through the things that he lays out for us. Before we get into our passage today, 
I want to just briefly uh, remind ourselves where we were last week because I think it helps. Um, all the help that we're going to need from this passage actually happened last week. Um, so I want to get that. I want to make sure we have that on the table before we get into these verses this morning. Uh, last week we talked about the fact that there is a, a narrow path that is difficult. Jesus used the word hard. A narrow path that is hard to walk on that leads to a tiny gate. And then there is also a wide path that Jesus called easy. He said that, that path is easy to walk and it leads to a very wide gate, leisurely stroll. Um, and he says that the wide path, the easy one, ends in destruction. And it is the, the narrow, difficult path that very few find that leads to life. So last week we talked about the fact that even though the path is narrow, even though it's very difficult, it's hard to walk, and even though the gate is small, uh, Jesus has showed us how to find that path, and he's given us the strength and the Holy Spirit to help us walk that path. So, yes, it's hard to find. Yes, it's hard to walk on. But Jesus has, through his sacrificial death on the cross, he has given us what we need, not only to find it, but to, to walk on it. So I want to I start there because Jesus also told us that there will be false prophets. There are going to be people that claim to be on the path, maybe, maybe even look like they're on the path, <coughs> He told us that the way to know that these guys are false is by looking at their fruit. You can tell by their fruit. No matter what, what whatever they're saying, whatever words are coming out of their mouth, uh, you can tell by their fruit whether or not they truly are on the narrow path or the wide leisurely path, regardless of what they say. The reason I wanted to start there is because um, the, the fruit and false, falsehood, uh, it doesn't end with verses 15 through 20. So what we're going to be looking at this morning is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27. We're going to see that Jesus lays out for us a very a true statement. Uh, there's no wiggle room, no wiggle room on this. It's a pretty, pretty standard, blatant statement that only those who do the will of the Father enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of the Father enter into the kingdom of heaven, which uh, raises a lot of questions that Lord willing will be able to answer as we go through this. So we're going to see this in two movements. First one, we're going to look at verses 21 through 23. We're going to we're going to talk about lawlessness. Uh, that's what Jesus uh, calls the these guys at the end of verse 23, workers of lawlessness. And then the second movement we're going to see is about obedience. We're going to see that there is not only life in obedience, but there is great wisdom in obeying the will of the Father. So first we're going to see lawlessness, and then verses 24 through 27, we're going to see what it looks like to be obedient. So if y'all would please, let's read verses 21 through 23 first together. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does, the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The first thing we're going to talk about is lawlessness. So in the context of where we came from, last week we saw that there were people that talk and act like they are Christians but are not. 
they, they have the ability, these false prophets, uh, have the ability to trick us into thinking that they are Christian. And what this passage introduces to us is that it is possible uh, for people to trick themselves into thinking that they are Christian. That there, there will in fact be, Jesus uses the word in verse 22, many, there, there will in fact be many who are shocked on the, uh, the day of judgment to find out that they will not be going to heaven. And this, this is why, hopefully y'all are with me on this, this is why I say that this is probably the most difficult passage we've handled so far. So, so the question then is, obviously, I think that the question is, if it's possible to, to think you're a Christian and uh, to be wrong, um, well, the question is then, how can we know for sure? Uh, how, how do we make sure that we are not one of those people that has uh, falsely assumed our Christian identity. Um, I would love for you guys to, to have that and answer that question before you have to stand before Jesus to, to talk about it. So the question is then, how can we know for sure, if it's possible to trick ourselves, how can we know for sure that we are actually on that, that narrow path that leads to life? In, uh, in verse 20, back in verse 20, Jesus says that you'll recognize the false prophets by their fruit, and that is the same answer for us. The way that we can know whether or not we are truly a Christian is by our fruit. And actually, this passage goes a step further in helping us by telling us exactly what that fruit is. Jesus says in verse 21 that those, it is those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Those are the ones that enter. So we know whether or not that we are saved, we are truly Christian, by observing our fruit, and that fruit is to do the will of the Father who is in heaven. Which, if you're uh, you're, you're going along with me here, uh, raises another another important question that we're also going to answer, which is, what is the will of the Father? But I want to I want to point out before we get into that 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 these guys, if we look at verse 22 again, that there are people. Many people that will stand before the Lord and say, we, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we did many mighty works. And Jesus tells them, I never knew you. And what that tells us is that you can, you can cast out demons, and you can prophesy in Jesus' name, you can do mighty works, and completely miss the will of your Father who is in heaven. That, that these things do not warrant a true Christian. We're going we're to see why that is here in a moment. But these things are not the fruit. The fruit of, uh, of God is, the fruit of the true Christian is to do the will of God. So the question then is, what is the will of God? Uh, and before we, before we talk about that, last little side note, I know I keep, keep pushing this back, that's the, that's the big question on the table, but before we really get to the answer of that, I just want to add this little side note. Um, because I think most often when we talk about the will of God, we, what is the will of God, I would like to know what the will of God is, most often uh, when that topic comes up, we mean it, it as it specifically applies to a, this situation or that situation. That's, that's really that's the question we're asking. Uh, most of the time, maybe all the time that I've heard somebody ask what the will of God is or be concerned about the will of God, what they mean is, uh, should I take this new job or should I stay at the job that I'm at? Uh, 
and they want to know what, what God's will is in that situation. Or should I get into this relationship with so-and-so? Or should I get out of the relationship with so-and-so? Uh, most of the time when we're wondering about the will of God, it's in scenarios like that. Yes. We want to know how God's will specifically applies to this, this small scenario. Uh, and I just want to let you guys know on the, on the front end that that's not the question that I'm going to be able to answer. Um, so if you're sitting here, you hear the pastors say, we're going to find out what the will of God is, and you're struggling with one of these things, should I stay or should I go? You're, you're kind of grappling with one of these things. Um, I'm sad to say that I cannot help you answer that question. Uh, that's between the Lord. He's going to have to give you discernment in those specific scenarios. When I say the will of God, I mean what is God's will for the life of every Christian on earth. So we're, we're talking kind of big picture God's will. Uh, not that the Lord doesn't help in those, those scenarios. I just can't help at this point in those scenarios. We're talking about the overall will of God for our life as Christians. And uh, last, little, last little note, one thing that I'll say, it's kind of a warning, is uh, it's very easy, uh, Christians, it's very easy to get so caught up in searching for God's will these small matters that we completely ignore God's will for our life. We want to know if God wants us to date or uh, so-and-so or, or go move to hold this place or that. Uh, and we forget that God has already placed a, a, a weighty will on our lives as Christians. So I, would, I hope this morning maybe we can maybe we can set the small question aside for a second, what is God's will? I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying it's not important. We need answers to those questions. We want to know that we're doing the right thing in any given scenario. But let's just set it aside for a moment and talk about what the Lord's major will is for all of us in the world if we call ourselves Christians. <clears throat> and the Bible, I'm going to let you know that the Bible is very clear about what that is. Um, the Bible is very clear about what the overall will of God is for uh, Christian life. And I think that I could probably go to a plethora of locations to, to talk about that. Uh, we have three of them hanging on the wall over here. Uh, we, could, we could go to any of these passages and be able to glean from them what God's will is for our life. To love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's, that's God's stated will for every Christian life. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, we, we, could, we could spend time looking at that and say, this is God's will for our life. This is what the Lord wants. And we would be completely right. Uh, there are several passages. I'm not saying that what we're going to look at this morning is the only one. There are several passages that we can see in the Bible that tell us what the will of God is for our life. Uh, which is why the value of, of your quiet time, studying the Word, that's why it's so important. Because the Lord has laid it out for us exactly how we would like for His people to live in a simple way. He has told us exactly what it looks like to do the will of God. But since we're in the Sermon on the Mount, I figured we would we would stay here. We would look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 5, 6, and 7. What we're going to see is that in verse 22, that, that these people that stand before the Lord, they say, we, we did X, Y, and Z in your name. These big flashy gestures of faith. Uh, what we're going to see is that... Uh, Jesus calls them workers of lawlessness. Um, even though they're doing all these things, they are 
he calls you lawless, that they're not, they're not actually in line with his will. And it actually, it kind of reminds me of the, uh, the story of the prophets of Baal, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. Maybe you guys are familiar with it. If you're not, I'll just a brief synopsis. Uh, is that these guys, they were, they were trying to get Baal to light an altar on fire for them. And uh, the scene that is described is a chaotic one of these guys dancing around, hollering, cutting themselves, trying to get the attention of a God that wasn't there in the first place. And that's kind of the sense that I get of the people in verse 22. That they were dancing around, they're hooping and hollering, they're doing all these, what it says, mighty works. But it's all, none of it is actually in the name of God our Father. None of it is actually in line with the will of God our Father. Because he says, I never do anything. You tacked my name onto a lot of things. Um, you did it. You did a lot of things in my name, as you say. But none of it was for my glory or actually in line with my will. He says, "I never knew." So what we're going to see as we as we kind of tiptoe back through chapters five, six, and seven, the things that Jesus laid out for us is that God's will is seldom so loud and flashy as casting out demons. And, uh, and doing mighty works, as verse 22 says. Uh, I say seldom. I don't want to say never, but it's seldom like that. What we see as Jesus uh, preached through chapters 5, 6, and 7 is that so often <coughs> God's will is requires a subtle anonymity in the world. That it's, that it's quiet, it's soft, it's uh, most of the time only seen by you and the Lord. We're, we're going to look at more of those as we go. So Sermon on the Mount lays that out for us. Our greatest uh, obedience does not come from flashy works. I, I took a minute this past week as I was preparing for the sermon. I went. I started Matthew 5, 1, and I came through all the way to 7, 27. And I tried to just, I counted, and I, I typed out all the commands that Jesus gives in, in those Three chapters. I typed out all the commands. I counted 24, but some of them were repeats, so you might go through and you might count count more than that. Uh, of those 24 that I counted, zero of them are about prophesying, casting out demons, or doing mighty works. Of the 24, none of them are about these these flashy shows of faith in God's name, so to speak. None. And I have that list. If anybody would like, like it, I can, I can give it to you. But um, the works that Jesus requires of us, you go through and you count them. The works that Jesus requires of us are all quiet. Um, they're all slow. Uh, they're very, very personal. And they're often completely unnoticed by other people in the world. Obedience happens in the, the quiet places of our hearts. Our truest self. Um, why else would Jesus say in Matthew 6, 6, he says, pray like this. Go into your room, close the door, and pray in secret. That, that, that truest sense, the reason that Jesus would say something like that is because who you are when you're in your room alone with the door closed, that's who you really are. Everybody knows how to look the part in public. We know how to say the right things or stand the right way. It's, it's easy to be obedient when there's a crowd. 
And a lot of times, uh, hypocrites, uh, they love to, to draw a crowd to, to, for people to see their obedience. But Jesus doesn't have any time for that person. Uh, let, the, let the world have that person, uh, the, the obedient when a crowd is around. Jesus wants the behind, the behind closed doors, alone in your room, obedience. That's what he's looking for. Because that is who we really are. And that's something that uh, that's something that you have to be honest with yourself about. Um, whatever, whatever, whatever your persona is when you're at church on Sunday or you're at work or among other believers, whatever that persona is, I'm not going to say that it's, it's false because it probably isn't. Um, but whatever that persona is, we have to be honest about our behind closed doors alone self. And that's something that can, has to be dealt with you and Jesus. Uh, that's, the, that's the person that uh, that Jesus wants. And I'll let you know that if you don't like, if you're thinking right now, maybe you don't like the person you are behind closed doors when you're all when you're all. Um, I just want to encourage you to say that the reason that Jesus set up his church the way that it is, is so that we can help each other. So we can help each other kind of bridge that gap between who we are in public and who we are in private. Uh, that's the point of discipleship, and, uh, accountability partners. That's why the church exists, is so that we can sharpen each other in these areas. So if you're looking at your life, there's no way for me to know this. Um, there's no way for me to know this. But if you're looking at your own life, and if you're serious about it, and I think, I think you ought to be serious about it, because according to Jesus, your eternity depends on this. If you're serious about who you are behind closed doors, and you don't like it, then I would encourage you to, to seek to seek a discipleship relationship or an accountability partner as I might be called to help you work work that out because there is nothing else on the planet that is as important as that. So that's that's my, my little plug for uh, for discipleship for accountability partners. Uh, we were never intended, never intended to do this alone. Yeah, Jesus wants the behind closed doors, alone, obedience. He wants your truest self, your heart. And he built his church around you. He gave you his Holy Spirit to help you get there. So Jesus, he, he died on the cross. He saved us. He justified us. Yes, we're saved. And our sanctification comes from being honest about who we are and seeking the, the help of the body of believers around us to help us get to who we need to be, to help us fit into this. Uh, obedient, doing the will of the Father, Christian life. Because that's what Jesus says. Uh, uh, anyway, so we'll, I, I feel like I've hit this point too long. Let's, uh, let's keep moving here. Over and over again, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Uh, if you haven't, haven't read it recently, I encourage you uh, to make it part of your quiet time. Uh, it's very sectional, and you can read it just a, a handful of verses at a time. I would encourage you to uh, to maybe start Matthew 5, 1 and read all the way through the end of chapter 7. Because what you'll see as you go through that is that Jesus is not uh, teaching about this over here and this over here and this over here, but that he is teaching a, a menagerie that comes together to give us a beautiful image about what the Christian life ought to look like. Truly what the will of the Father is. You can see it as you you study through these couple of chapters. 
what you're going to find is that Jesus does not command us to uh, overturn corrupt governments. Jesus doesn't command us to cast out legions of demons. The, the will of the Father, as Jesus lays it out in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, is much simpler than that. Uh, he says to be salt and light in the world. He said that. I was back in Matthew chapter 5. He says he tells us that the will of the Father is that we endure persecution with great love and humility. We do that. He tells us to love. He tells us to be slow to anger. He says to give to the poor. That's the will of the Father, that, that, we, that we give to the poor. And that we abstain from lustful and destructive sin. He said that. He said if your right hand causes you to sin, what? You cut it off. So the will of the Father is that, that we remove ourselves as far as we can from lustful, destructive sin in our lives. The will of the Father is to truly represent Him in the world. Matthew 5.48 says that we are to be perfect as our Father is perfect. Which feels like a pretty high bar, doesn't it? Um, if, if we were able to do that, there would have been no need for Jesus. But, since he did, uh, he has given us everything that we need to, to reach that goal. Jesus wants us, God's will is for us to be his representatives in the world, to be truly selfless in righteousness. That's what all of chapter 6 was about. That, that, that it's possible to, be, to do righteous acts, but in a completely simple, depraved, useless way. That it's possible to give in such a way that it is no longer God's will. It's possible to pray in such a way that you are the star rather than God. He wants us to be selfless in our righteousness, to for once get the camera off of our, ourselves and, and be righteous when nobody's looking. God wants us to trust Him. He says, don't be anxious about anything because I take care of all of nature. I take care of the stars and the sun. I can take care of The will of the Father is that, that we push anxiety away. And the tool that we use to do that is trusting in our Heavenly Father. The will of God is that we trust Him. The will of God is that we ask Him when we need things. Like a child would go to their father to ask for good things, we go to our Father and ask Him. His will is that we love and trust Him, that we seek first the kingdom. We have, this is just a handful, uh, I have a whole list of these commands that, that Jesus has laid out for us. The will of the Father looks like that. It's the quiet subtlety of obedience. The reading God's word and doing what it says. That's the will of the Father. We're going to see that in this next section uh, as we close. We're going to talk about what obedience looks like um, in that context of just doing what the Word says. So let's look at verses 24 through 27. Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall 
because they can be found on the rock. And everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall. So what we see is that obedience to God's word, to do the will of the Father, uh, that eternity-defining question, to do the will of the Father, is about one who hears the words of Jesus, or in our case, we, we read the words of Jesus in the Bible, and we do them. We obey. What Jesus says is that when we do that, we are like a wise man who built his house on a rock. So what he does is he uses this, this metaphor, building a house on, on a firm foundation to describe the life that is built on obedience to the work. So we, we know that, uh, that the house is, you know, we talk about the house being our life. We, we know that the rock is obedience to God's word. So what that means for us is that when it talks about the, the rain falling, the floods coming, and the winds blowing, uh, our house stands up against those things, which means that if we're founded on the Word of God, that we are immovable. Uh, and we are the, the only people that have a truth that like this that is immovable. We have the truth. Uh, our truth is not subject to change because the, the culture around us changes. Uh, that does not affect the truth of God's word, the rock that our house is built on, it is not changed by the culture around us, regardless of what the Supreme Court says. The, the rock does not change because of the culture. There's nothing that diminishes or changes God's truth. There's not, there's not something that's more important over here that causes us to maybe set God's truth aside for a minute uh, while we focus on these things. Um, the rock that our house is built on doesn't get set to the side. Uh, that truth is, is firm, it is immovable, and so is the life that is built on it. That's what we mean when we talk about being equipped by the Word. We talk about looking into the Word, searching the Word, being active in our learning the Word of God. That's what we mean. We mean building our lives on the firm foundation of the truth. So that whatever happens in the world, we are whisked away by it. Because our house is firm. And then Jesus says, to, to complete his metaphor, he lets us know that the person who looks at his words, maybe they even really like his words, maybe they get a coffee mug with his word uh, plastered on the outside of it. The people who look at his word and do not do like the person who built their house on sand. Uh, I'm not an architect. I don't know anything about building houses. But um, I, think we, I think it's easy to know that building a house on shifting ground like sand uh, is a terrible idea. Jesus uh, just calls them uh, foolish. It's exactly like what James says in James 1, 21 through 25. Um, I'll read this passage in and we'll close. Uh, James 1, 22 through 25, he says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being a not no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So if we want to answer the question, what is God's will? The Bible. Yes. Right. Exactly. That's, um, Jesus says only the one who does the will of the Father gets into the kingdom of heaven. And just like Graham said, doing the will of the Father means reading the word and obeying. Not in the big, flashy, mighty works uh, that, that gets us the hand clap from the people around us, but obeying it even when we're alone behind closed doors. Because the reality is, this is Jesus' word, not mine. The reality is that there are many well-intended, church-going people who will not make it to heaven because they are not doing the will of the Father. And the, uh, the motivation, my, my motivation, the uh, kind of the, uh, the driving force behind my calling as a pastor, the reason that I do what I do is because I want to I want to make sure that, that, that we are not in this verse 22 minute. That if Word Baptist accomplishes nothing else in Espanola, that, that we accomplish this. That, that those of us who are here, those of us who spend our time here and worship here and, and bump shoulders together here, that, that we would know, not, not think or be convinced, but that, that we would know and be sure that we are doing more. Like I've said already, Jesus has given us everything that we need to accomplish that. Kelvin, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that far short of creating doubt in our mind about our salvation, your word, in fact, gives us all the assurance that we need. That when we, we read verses about, about people being shocked to find that they are going to that we are secure in the fact that you have given us your word. You've revealed not just who you are or how you feel about us, but you have revealed your will for our lives. God, I pray, just like we pray this morning, I pray that, that this Bible, that your word would become utmost important in our lives. That it would be a tool that, that equips us to live perfectly in the world just as you perfect. And I pray for the, the people of this church that we would be beneficial to one another in encouragement shaping and righteousness. I pray that if anybody, anybody, feels they are falling short of your standard, that they would not sit on that information. Because whatever happens in the few years that we have on earth, none of it is, is as important as this. But we want to be that do for 
pray that you would, you would grow a love in our hearts for your will for our lives. I would thank you for sending your son to the cross. We know that without him, without that, we would be utterly incapable of reaching that standard. But because Jesus did it, because of his righteous life, he doing your will perfectly. But because of that, we know that, that we can do it too. Through the righteousness that Jesus gives us, we can do it too. I would thank you for that. Pray that we, each day, each week, that we will continue to grow into that truth. To be more and more like Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys. Uh, we got a couple of announcements. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll be dismissed. The uh, first one is uh, Justin mentioned a little bit already, but I do want to say a uh, thank you to the Topper Shrooms team for being in town. I said this last week, and I'll just remind you guys that they'll be here all week um, working, doing stuff. So if y'all have some free time, they'd love for you to drop by and, uh, and give them a hand, uh, help them out, you know, whatever. Just say hey, get to know them a little bit. Uh, they'll be here. Uh, just a little personal plug, Matthew, bring him, Matthew. Y'all know Matthew. Uh, this this is the man that led me to Christ. Yeah. So uh, in no small way, uh, he is responsible for for, uh, for what's going on here. And that's going to go uh, for, for better or for worse. Uh, so I'd, I'd love for you guys to get to know him. Uh, ask him about the National Anthem video. <laughs> uh, so thank, thank you guys. Thank you, Papa Shreve, for being here. Uh, we have your t-shirts in the back. Just so you know. Other announcements: We do have Bible study tonight, so men, uh, not just not just Espanol men, but uh, Georgian men as well. Uh, you're, you guys are welcome to come to that. We'll be discussing Psalm chapter one. Uh, so Psalm Psalm one. We'll be together. We're going to talk about that. Justin will be leaving that time for us. Uh, so that's, that'll be at five thirty. Uh, ladies, you do have Bible study at uh, six thirty on Wednesday. So I encourage you, if you're a woman and you like to study the Bible, uh, that 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 will be your cup of tea. There's also tea out there. Oh yeah, there, there it is. Physical, actual cups of tea. That's why we keep them around. Uh, our last thing is the giving. I want to show you our giving for the week. Uh, so very strong week, uh, you can see, and we're still doing great for the year. Way ahead of uh, what we budgeted. So thank you guys for that. That is due to your uh, faithful generosity and uh, giving to the work. That's it. Any other announcements? It's always dangerous to open up the floor. <laughs> uh, just, uh, all right, cool. I'm going to pray for us one more time. Y'all don't have to. Y'all don't have to scurry off real quick. I encourage you to uh, spend some time in fellowship. But I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you again. I feel like I can't say thank you, but I want to say thank you again for your word, for the assurance that it gives us that we don't have to worry about. Um, what's going on in social media or on the news or what's going on in Washington, D.C. Um, that those things don't affect the, the truth of your work. That we, I thank you for this I thank you for this uh, beautiful body of believers that you have brought together. So I pray that our time together today and the work that we do the rest of the week will be glorifying to you.